Welcome to Six Count. I'm your host, Sarah Wild, bringing you the voices and stories of jazz from Durham, North Carolina. Dexter, thank you so much for speaking to Six Count at 11 p.m. this evening after our first listening session with a group of lovely people who are still in the room right now. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was a wonderful opportunity and I had so much fun tonight. Well, thank you so much for curating this fantastic playlist for us. You also had so many cool historical tidbits that you shared and also what was, you know, happening at the time and who was influencing who. So I think everyone learned a lot. But you have some personal news that you released just this past week about a new album, your debut album. So will you share a little bit about that? Cool. So my debut album, New Perspective 2024, we are set to record in April of this year. Um, This album is pretty much a homage to the late, great Dr. Brian Horton, who has influenced most of my writing pretty much from my graduate school experience at North Carolina Central and also to um, the other mentors and colleagues that have passed on, um, Mr. Arnold George, um, Teresa Renee, and most recently Samuel King. Pretty much I'm just using the album as a way, it's, it's closure, you know. I haven't really healed completely from it. I don't think I will heal completely from the loss of these people. But it's a sense of closure, and hopefully for others, it's a sense of closure as well. I could at least provide some comfort that their lives were not in vain, you know, and their contributions weren't in vain as well. And of course, it's difficult to distill the impact that someone had on your life. But how do you feel like you make sense of the impact that Dr. Horton had on your life, as well as these other mentors? For Dr. Horton specifically, the way that I make sense out of it i don't make sense out of it as far as um the way that it happened i mean you can't you can't make sense i I mean this is all these deaths were tragic and that's that's just what it was but we can make sense of the impact that they had on us right it's like with dr horton his writing his creativity though i may not have understood him and i actually mentioned this in um my uh GoFundMe with my mission statement for the album, even though I may not have really understood him a lot, um, he was a very interesting individual. His creativity and his um vision was really clear. I mean, it was genius, and the way that he inspired others and encouraged others to be true to themselves and be true to their backgrounds, but also just know more. It's okay to know more. It's okay to learn more. You know, it's only going to benefit you. But what's not going to benefit you is getting rid of what you already know and then replacing it with other things. He wanted you to keep being who you were or who you are or rather. Um, But yeah, so that's kind of how I deal with it. It's like just keeping that character, keeping that philosophy and just being true, being honest, you know, with the other people. It's like. Mr. Um, you know, Arnold George, um, the fact that he really saw 
he saw you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it was it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter where you came from. He saw you. That's a beautiful thing to feel seen rather than just viewed or something like that. Exactly. And you are accepting support from the community and you've also had support from the Durham Arts Council. And so how can people join you in uh, supporting this project? Awesome. So you can um, actually go to my Facebook page, Dexter Moses under my you know name. Um, and I have several links posted for the GoFundMe. I'll also um, post a link to my website, DexterMosesMusic.com soon within the next couple of days or so. Um, to make sure that it gets as much visibility as possible. And any amount is appreciated, whether we make the goal or not, the album still is happening. You know, I just want to give an opportunity for people to contribute because, you know, it's like, who doesn't want to contribute to a legacy? Mm -hmm. You know, the people that have influenced me and impacted me. And also, I want something to show my kids Mm -hmm. and my grandkids. So that's what you're contributing to. And how cool that you're using your first album as a way to cast a spotlight on someone who influenced you. So I think that is really neat. And also a deep curiosity about the music seems to be the theme from tonight's curated list of songs. So there was a lot to choose from. So can you share about your thinking that went into curating this playlist? Were there through lines? Was it just what was inspiring you in the moment? So the playlist was initially I wanted to curate music that made us ask questions. And when I say ask questions, it's about certain artists. For example, one track I shared with Bud Powell playing in almost pretty much the style of Thelonious Monk during a period where we just recognize him for his playing with Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie where it's more linear bebop. Um, lines as opposed to the percussive and tension nature of um, Thelonious Monk. So just giving us different ways to think about what was actually going on during these times, you know, like what, what beyond what the critics told us, it's like, what were they actually thinking and what deliberate decisions were they making, you know, during this time? It gets, it gets our imagine, it lets our imagination run with it. And will you share the song that you're referencing right now? Cool. So this one is from uh, Bud Powell and Royal Roost Sessions. Um, It's a version of Bag's Groove. He recorded that in 1953. And another song I shared from Bud Powell was his um, version of Off Minor from Thelonious Monk. And I believe that was recorded in 47. Is there any takeaway that you got from listening to them again with this group that you hadn't had when you were initially putting it together? When I listen to music, I enjoy it because I know these specific facts about it. But then when I get other people to listen to it and they don't know these facts and they don't know the research, you know, behind it, and they still describe the music in a way that it it still hits the hits it on the head you know it's you're you're hearing it from an honest place it gives me different avenues to think of it you know as opposed to the stuff that i've read from interviews or critics or just even my own experience it's just the it's just tells me that um 
the music is doing its job, which is delivering its message at the end of the day. Especially because tonight we have a drummer and a guitarist and a vocalist and someone who knows a lot about classical and jazz. And so the fact that there were these commonalities across different backgrounds, I think, does speak to what you're saying about how we can find connection over the music from all of these different places. Um, Another question is, can you choose one song and share about the arrangement that you liked? Whoa. That's a that's a hard one. You know I liked all of them. <laughs> it's like that's why I picked them. So okay, so one song. <clears throat> Black Friday from Soweto Kench. That one, as far as, you know, from a musical perspective, it was very intricate, very detailed, very um very deep. Um, from a emotional standpoint, which is what Anytime you listen to music, that's what hits us. That's what's supposed to hit us is the emotional impact, right? Aside from that, you know, it's like that that spiritual implication um, of what was happening, the darkness that was happening during that time, that track really um, embodied just the, the turmoil. But then also it does have, as some people have mentioned, the sprinkles of optimism, mm. you know. And how this different things can exist at the same time and how in the midst of awful things that there was still sources of joy it sounded like as expressed in this music okay let's talk composition another song that you felt like it stuck out as surprising or admirable man these are really hard questions i didn't know you were going to come with a second one (laughs) 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 I may, I may I may need some help. Um, yeah. Anybody from the audience <laughs> can, can help me out with the track. The composition. Yeah. Shall we come back to that question? Oh, I mean, the last oh. one, the, the Geraldine. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the gospel um, song that was pretty mm-hmm. impactful. Yeah. So the um, track, the last track that I played. Geraldine Gay and Donald Gay. It's a gospel number titled I've Done My Work, recorded in 2001. And what made it impactful was that Geraldine, she was called or dubbed the uh, Errol Garner of gospel. But when I listen to her music, I don't necessarily hear jazz. I just hear church. I hear I hear just what I grew up listening to. It never dawned on me that what she was playing was related to jazz. I mean, and I'm and I I was listening to her when I listened to gospel music of that um style where it's just a piano, a vocalist, and like a drummer on snare with brushes just keeping the beat. I go back to when I was in church in the pews just listening when I would go to funerals. And they would play these old gospel hymnals and it it just took me back there. I didn't even think, oh, this is some swinging stuff. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it was, but initially it just, it just took me back to when I was a kid yeah. <laughs> listening to it. And I was like, whoa, this is what I like. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. There's such a joy to realize that I am getting pleasure out of this, not because someone told me, because I just think it is so great. Mm-hmm. 
Um, now, will you choose a song and share who it reminds you of? And maybe it's this one because at the beginning you said it can only be one of two people. And actually, I think everybody got it right where they chose one of the two people. So is it that one you want to talk about or maybe a different one? Sure. I'll talk about the Bud Powell. So, yeah, the Bud Powell song with Bags Groove um, in 1953. He plays a lot in the style of Thelonious Monk. That's probably one of my favorites. When recently, actually, it, it, I actually just learned about this version probably like three days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually was talking to um, on Instagram a saxophonist named Elijah Easton. Uh, he's based in D.C. and he plays like Sonny Rollins. Like he's really deep into Sonny Rollins. And he posted a video of him playing a Bud Powell intro to Round Midnight. And I texted him on the, you know, the app and I was like, man, you're playing the real stuff. You know, I used other words, but I said, you're playing the real stuff, you know? (laughs) And and he was like, yeah, we've been sleeping on Bud Powell. I was like, I know, I know. (laughs) So he um, told me to check out this record, um, The Roost Sessions, which is a compilation of um, Bud Powell from 1947 and then records uh, or recordings from 1953. Yeah, that recording is my favorite because... Um, as far as the narrative is like, we don't, the jazz narrative, jazz education, as far as uh, Bud Powell's connection to Thelonious Monk, you don't hear it, his connection to him outside of his mental illness, mm. as far as his sound. It's always like he went through this traumatic electroshock, you know, electric shock therapy. His playing changed and it almost sounded like he was rever- going to playing like Monk, you know, and it was very it was fantasy i mean a little bit you know and it's like well he always had that it was deliberate it's the same way of um lewis porter if you ever read his um book on lester young his argument was that lester young's sound changed because he wanted it to change mm-hmm. not because he went to the military and got you know a bold dishonorably discharged and went through mental illness and all this stuff i mean depression i mean yes it does affect your music mm-hmm. but there were quotes that he um that lewis porter brought up from lester young that said i was trying to go for this mm-hmm. you know and i think what's really harmful to the music is when we attribute these creative decisions to poor life choices or circumstances you know Especially when there seems to be a value judgment there, too. What song on the playlist is one that you would go to someone and almost feel compelled to say, this is important, and and why? I would say the Geraldine Gay and and Donald Gay recording. That's the one that I just want to be like, this is what we've been talking about this entire time. And when I say we... (laughs) I'm also coming from the background of being, you know, educated by North Carolina Central's jazz program of having swing of the music being black. Mm. You know, it's not it's not exclusive because everybody can play it, but you just got to know where it comes from. Yeah. And it's black music. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to go in and say, like, this is what, you know. This is what y'all need. This is what's missing. This is the ingredient that is missing from the music. But Branford Marsalis, right? I was talking to him and he was explaining how the issue with getting people to to 
actually accept that sound and that culture, you know, is from, um, you know, is from, is, it's, it's hard for them to accept it as from an intellectual level. It's more of, it's just, it is what it is, but I, is not necessary, mm. you know, but it's, it, it has to be studied yeah. like anything else is like you gotta go and expose yourself to it you gotta learn it. it is not natural not all black people have groove not all black people can swing <laughs> you know it's like not all people can pl- black people can play basketball you gotta learn how to do these things yeah. well you seem like the constant student as well as a teacher um so can you choose a song and share how you would approach teaching it wow all right <laughs> I'm so impressed. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I would teach a lot of because what the the songs I pick specifically it is unteachable. <laughs> so like, uh, the song that made Oscar Peterson afraid. Right, it's like the song that made Oscar Peterson af- <laughs> afraid, or the person that Oscar Peterson was afraid of, Phineas Newborn Jr. coming out of Memphis, and we, um, I played his version of All the Things You Are, and in one recording he plays a classical variation. He comps in his right hand, solos in his left, and he solos with both hands, all in one recording. It's like, I can't, I wish I could teach somebody how to do that, (laughs) you know? But I mean, the most I can do as far as teaching, educating somebody about the music and using that specific recording is pay attention to his um, use of form, you know, development, how he's able how he didn't just go from classical to jazz, like he soloed within the classical idiom. It wasn't just bebop over these classical arpeggios, like he was forming melodies and basing it off of the original melody of all things you are. It's so, the original melody is so beautiful, you can almost make it like a a fugue you know at at a certain point just because the theme is just so intertwined into it and then when he starts his jazz um improvisation when the rhythm section comes back in you you can hear him thinking melodically not chords and he's not repeating any licks there's no licks Mm -hmm. everything he played was purely melodic and i can't teach that you know Mm -hmm. you just got you have to surround yourself by it mm-hmm. and also understand where it comes from it doesn't come from just learning bebop it comes from learning what they were listening to mm-hmm. you think like what were the people in 1940 listening to what did they have access to you know it's like recording technology went back 10 15 years at the most they were listening to those old <laughs> fletcher henderson records you know, Louis Armstrong, whatever it was, it was it it it. it that's what they were checking out, mm-hmm. and you can't you can't isolate all these periods. It doesn't make sense. These people were still alive right. during all these periods. There are old musicians that have been alive <laughs> during every movement of jazz. Yeah. So you can't. Yeah, you just have to just listen to all of it. <laughs> Can you speak to what you were sharing about earlier in the session about bebop and swing dance and how usually Lindy Hop is 
doesn't have that much bebop with live bands, but you were making the case that perhaps that shouldn't be, that we should incorporate more bebop into Lindy Hop music. No, absolutely. I will say I'm unfamiliar as far as if there is dance specifically tailored towards bebop. I just know from studying the music and being an education system, once bebop happened, dance died, apparently, which is not true. Mm. <laughs> if, if you need to fact check me on, on that, um, go to Robert Trowers. <laughs> he is the director of the jazz program in North Carolina Central. He is a wonderful human being. He will definitely quickly <laughs> tell you that that's not true so um as far as what we sh- um listen to we listen to charlie parker playing cherokee with that rhythm guitarist f Vigier. i can't say his first name but last name where and the whole recording was dancing tempo didn't move at all it was in the pocket he was playing so much bebop but it was danceable we also listened to Jay McShann, I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, with Charlie Parker playing lead alto saxophone. And when his solo started, everybody was getting real excited. You could hear people going, woo, because it was danceable. So as far as Lindy Hop, as far as I've seen, there hasn't been enough representation musically of the bebop period and how it's connected to the early swing period. If you listen to, like, I want to hear Billy Eichstein. Oh, ah. I want to hear his arrangements mm. play that dance. I want to hear Oop Shabam. Mm. You know, I want to hear Land of Ubladi. I want to hear all that stuff at these events. I do, like I, like I told everyone, I, I do appreciate the Eddie Bearfields, you know, and um, the Blue Devils and all the older um, swing bands that weren't, were, weren't recognized for their work at the time. Um, of their conception and I do appreciate the revival efforts of those bands that's really important and it's it's amazing that that's happening you know still however I feel like this narrative of these separate these separate styles is um, is ridiculous as far as you know what does Charlie Parker have to do with Duke Ellington or Count Basie it's like everything Yeah, <laughs> that's where he came from that was the roots. And I think that just needs to be um, exposed. Well, Dexter, thank you so much. Best of luck with finishing out the fundraising campaign and embarking on this new recording project. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This has been awesome. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Six Count. I'm Zara Wild. You can let us know what you thought of the episode or recommend a guest by emailing us at sixcountpodcast at gmail.com or by finding us on Twitter or Instagram at sixcountpodcast. If you'd like to support our work in telling the story of jazz in Durham, you can make a gift to the show by following the link in our episode description. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 